Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we are here to talk about the College World Series. It is Thursday, June 17. As we record this, the World Series begins in two days in Omaha, Nebraska. So there is plenty to to discuss in previewing the event, and that's what we're going to get into here on today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe. Like I said, we're here a couple days ahead of the start of the College World Series. It's been nearly two years since Vanderbilt won the 2019 National Championship. It's time to get things back underway in Omaha, Nebraska, and that's where we're headed in a couple days. The teams are all there already. They'll work out today and tomorrow, uh, and I guess the teams that play on Sunday. We'll also probably work out on Saturday, uh, but we're, we're just a couple days away from uh, from kicking off what they like to call the greatest show on dirt. Yeah, it's um, it's here. Like it's, it's almost kind of hard to like if it's if it's possible, like I feel like it's kind of snuck up on me a little bit that, that we're leaving for Omaha and going to be in Omaha so so quickly. Um, but it, and it's also hard to believe that it's been so long since We've been there. I mean, we've spent a lot of time, obviously, in the interim bemoaning not having it last year, but I think it'll be a little surreal to to actually uh, to actually be there and be among the uh, be among that crowd again. And it's um, should be fantastic atmosphere. Obviously, I think there's a lot of you know built up demand for this kind of thing. So I think we're, we're going to be in for an all timer in terms of uh, just being a celebration of college baseball, which anybody who's been will tell you that that's really the best part of it. That the baseball is is great, and that's that's what they're there to do. The rest of it doesn't exist without that element, but that they're really the best thing about it is just kind of the celebration of, of college baseball and, and uh, it kind of having a little bit of a County fair type type feel, if you will, for those of, for those of us who have experienced, uh, you know, County fair type things, but um, looking forward to it. Just really, really excited. If I were the type of person that gets, um, you know, misty eyed about something, I think this would be the type of thing that, uh, it would be easy to get misty eyed about walking back into that stadium. And, and I'm sure it will be a little bit emotional for me. Um, you know, it's, uh, just given that it's, it, it's something that's, um, exciting every year, you know, every year you walk in there and you, and you get excited again. And it's, um, you know, this year, I think it will be a little bit overwhelming in that regard because, um, you just missed it. You know, we, we missed it. There's really no other way to put it. There's, I could try to wax a little more poetic about it, but really I should just say that, really missed having it in my life and it'll be really cool to be back. And it, it, I think that's part of why it doesn't feel real is just because it, it's been so long now. And, um, you know, we, we just didn't have that last year. And, and so it'll be really exciting to be back. I am interested to see, uh, you're talking about the County fair aspects of it. I'm interested to see how different some of that stuff is or isn't this year. Uh, you know, there, there, there are some, some differences. Yes. The full attendance is, is there and the games will be there, but, you know, for instance, the the teams practice on on Friday in TD Ameritrade Park every year, and traditionally that's open to fans and media. 
and and all the rest of it and and like that's just kind of a fun day there are autographs with the the players after they practice and you know then there are opening ceremonies that night and and all of that is is uh is going to be different this year or not happening and you know i a lot of times you'll you'll see send-offs from the team hotels before the games for for each of the 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 competing teams and i imagine those will probably be eliminated this year or at least significantly different. And so there, there's a lot that's going to be different, um, but that's okay because the main thing is the main thing here. And that, that is the baseball. And so we're, we're excited to, uh, to have that aspect of it back and whatever else we can get back. I mean, cause the world series is about so much more than, than just the, the, the games on the field. It is, it really is, is an event. It's an event for, for college baseball fans of all sorts, not, not just the teams that are playing there. There are plenty of people that just want to go and, and be a part of it and, and see the spectacle. And I am sure that it will deliver on that again this year, even with some of the uh, slightly more restrictive rules that, that they're going to be operating under uh, this season. Yeah. It's, it's one of those deals where, you know, you and I have experienced this just in the way that we've been communicated to by, the, the people who are organizing and who I should say, because this might come off as a little bit of criticism. I don't mean it that way. They're, they're doing the best they can. Like they're, they're between a rock and a hard place here. Um, but it, um, it, it, it's in this kind of weird place where, you know, if this were happening in the fall, like, I don't think, I think it would just be like, okay, we're, you know, this is a kind of an event back to normal. And because I, I, I think largely that's what football has been planning for at this point. And if this had been, several months earlier, it would be obvious that, well, we're, we're just not going to do any of that kind of stuff. But right now we're kind of in this weird, like middle ground where, you know, people are feeling safe to do those kinds of things. I was in a place last weekend in Knoxville where they had some of those types of elements going on around the stadium. But the other part about that is it's not just as easy as them snapping their fingers and being like, okay, yeah, let's just go back to our original plan A because they've probably been planning for a different eventuality now for a long time. And so it's hard to kind of pivot um, on a dime on those kinds of things. So they, they are kind of stuck in a, in a tough place, but I'm, I'm hopeful that while it will be a little bit different this year, I am hopeful that we do get some of that kind of stuff because one of my favorite parts is, especially on the first day, first couple of days, is just kind of walking around the, the vendor areas and um, walking through the tailgate a little bit. I do like to walk through the tailgate areas just to look at, you know, who's got the, you know, the biggest and best tailgates and the most fun tailgates are the little tiny tailgates that are two chairs underneath the tree. You know, um, it's just such a cool experience. So I, I really hope that there is still uh, a good amount of that, even understanding that a lot of it will be a little bit different this time around. I know I saw uh, a quote from the guy that runs like the concessions at TD Ameritrade that was talking about how um, it was kind of different that initially they were told to prepare for 50% capacity and then they were told, oh, actually it'll be a hundred percent. And just the, the way that they had to scale up, um, you know, how, how that had to, to, had to happen very quickly. So I'm sure a lot of that was happening uh, around the, around the whole event. Uh, speaking of concessions and therefore food, Joe, um, you know, we are, I, I know people that, that travel, uh, to, to Omaha, always want to know where they should be going uh, to eat while they're there. And so before we get into the, the game uh, preview and, and the team preview and breakdown and all the rest of that, uh, let's just 
give the people a couple couple spots to to look for outside of the ballpark. Um, obviously, Omaha is known for its stakes, and you will hear plenty of people tell you about the Drover. And uh, that is certainly a, a classic College World Series spot. I would encourage you, though, to look around at some of the other steakhouses because there are lots of them in Omaha. And uh, while I don't generally uh, like I'm not I'm not a steak fanatic by by any means, uh, but I've been to several of them and they all seem to be pretty good. So, uh, you know, go to the Drover if that if that's the thing that you've been hearing about and the thing that you want to do and all the rest of that. But if you just want to get some steak. Uh, there are other steakhouses in Omaha, uh, and, and you know definitely explore explore that. Um, I would also mention Kitchen Table and Labavet as as two of my my favorite places uh, to go and eat uh, when you're in the downtown or Old Market area. Yeah, I'll throw a, a classic at you, Lo Sole Mio Italian. Um, you'll hear that one thrown around a lot. It was Augie Garrido's favorite restaurant in Omaha. I think it, I'm sure the Longhorns will eat there at some point during their stay. Indeed. Um, that's, that's one that comes a little bit of a warning label though. Um, I would say don't try to, if you, if your team has the early game, don't try to do that for lunch, then hustle over to the ballpark because a, you will have the grease sweats as you walk up to the ballpark in the inevitable hundred degree heat. Um, but also you're going to fall asleep in your seat. So I would say, do that one. If you have the early game, go there for dinner. If your team plays the late game, do that for lunch and allow yourself like a little bit of time to like go back to your hotel and just lay on your lay on the bed or lay in the chair in your room or something. And because you're going to need some time to recover from that one. Um, but it is really, really good Italian food. And they, um, you know, tell them you're there, you know, the, the people that are working there, tell them you're there for the CWS. They'll, you know, they'll want to talk to you about the games. They'll want, you know, it's, it's, it's a restaurant that very much is in tune with what's going on in the city, in the CWS specifically. Um, I'll throw a different one at you. It's not actually like a uh, lunch or dinner place. Uh, I found a donut place called Eat Bob's Donuts. Um, and it's in the roughly in the downtown area, but they do like really kind of interesting things with donuts. Um, they have some pretty plain ones too. Like it's not like if you're just looking for a you know chocolate ice donut, you, can, you can't get that there. You absolutely can. But, but they do a lot of the really interesting toppings on the donuts and they're doing some interesting things with fillings and all that kind of stuff. So pretty, again, pretty decadent donuts. So don't think you're going to go in there and house a half dozen of them. Um, like you might be able to do with just plain glaze from your corner donut shop. These are a little bit different than that. These are, these are pretty, pretty rich and pretty sweet or pretty heavy if you get something with a, with a filling in it. But I, uh, I bought a few of those and just kind of you know, kept them in my hotel while I was there last time and kind of ate them over a few days. And they were really, really, really tasty. Uh, one place I didn't get to go that I actually would like a live review of, um, Teddy and I had kind of loosely planned to go to this place and it didn't work out. Teddy, did you, did you eat the Blackstone meatball last time you were there? I did. Uh, I think I've been there a couple of times. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a meatball, meatballery. I don't know if that's a, that's a <laughs> great word for it, but, uh, yeah, they, they'll, they, they specialize in meatballs and you can put them on a sandwich or over pasta or I think a salad. Um, it's a, a different approach to, to things like really the, the meatball is the focus and then you tell them like, what are we putting this on? Um, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, see, I, I like that as a concept because that for me is like, um, that, that's kind of the, that, that's the variety that I would that I would like to have with, what am I trying to say here? Like, I like that it starts with, the part about the meal that you really probably care about most and then kind of talks about the vessel after the fact, you know, like sometimes I, 
you know, you'll go to a place and you're like, well, I really don't want a sandwich because I don't want that much bread. But that like that, that combination of like meats and sauces sounds pretty good. Like I wish I could get that somewhere else. So this kind of gives you that, that flexibility. It's a concept that I've seen popping up. We've got a, a food truck here in the triangle. Um, the name escapes me. Um, but I've eaten at that food truck that does kind of a similar thing. So it is a concept that's out there um, right now, but I, I kind of enjoy, enjoy that idea. So that was one that I wanted to make sure we got on the record. If you gave it your, your recommendations, probably on my list for this year. Have you had Runza? I have actually never had Runza. I'm a little bit, um, I don't know that I'd like Runza to be honest with you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm scared as well. It's okay. We can, we can, it's a safe space here. (laughs) I think it seems a little cabbage heavy for me. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, so Runza is like a Nebraska delicacy. It comes from, I believe, somewhere in Eastern Europe. It's like a dumpling kind of situation. Um, they've turned it into a fast food joint uh, there in Nebraska. But yeah, it's uh, if you really want local flavor, like that is that is what I understand it to be. Yeah, it's, uh, it's described as a yeast dough bread pocket with a filling consisting of beef, cabbage, or sauerkraut, onions, and seasonings. Um, that's the, of course, the generic version of it. Like they, they sell all kinds of different ones at the actual runs of restaurants, but they're everywhere. Like, like you will not, if it's something you want to try, which I would recommend, you know, it's a local place, like give it, give it a shot. Like I probably should give it a shot. Um, like you, you will not miss a runza if you're staying in the Omaha area. They are all over the place so uh plenty of options there for for food omaha i like i don't know how good of a straight up eating city it is some people will tell you it's a really good one i think it's fine uh but if you like if you look for it like you'll you'll find some good places there um you know some of them you don't have to look too hard for but some of them if you escape kind of the downtown immediate td ameritrade old market area um like you would have to do if you go to the drover or los Sole mio um you can you can find some gems out there it's uh it's an interesting place and uh yeah so i they, they really embrace the, the the tournament there and so it's always nice to um to hit up some of the the local spots as well all right so we're going to embrace the tournament here on the baseball america college podcast and break down some of these teams some of these games here uh but first Check this out. All right, Joe. So it's time to break down the games, the teams. Um, we'll, uh, we'll run through these in order of how the games are being played here. So we'll start with, uh, with the Saturday group of games. And that begins at uh, 2 Eastern there on Saturday. Stanford and North Carolina State are going to kick off the College World Series. And then you will have Vanderbilt and Arizona following at seven. Both of those games are on ESPN. Stanford comes into this as the number nine overall seed. North Carolina State, of course, was unranked or is unseeded. They were the number two seed in Ruston, upset Louisiana Tech in the Ruston Regional, then upset Arkansas in the Fayetteville Super Regional. Stanford um, won the, the Stanford regional beating UC Irvine in the in the regional final and then rolled Texas Tech in the Lubbock Super Regional. Uh, another upset there, uh, at least by seeding. Uh, so Joe, we've got we've got two teams here 
that have not been to the World Series in some time. North Carolina State was last there in 2013. Stanford was last there in 2008. Interesting matchup here. Um, you know, two teams that are coming in pretty hot have not uh, have not lost a whole lot of games here in the postseason. I think they both have one postseason loss, and they played well down the stretch to uh, to get into the tournament as well. So that's what we've got here in the in the opener. Uh, should be should be a pretty good one, even if it's maybe not as star studded as some people as some of the other games that we'll see. Yeah, it's like kind of one of those classic like games that you knew was kind of destined for that early window. You know, as soon as we saw that this was going to be the matchup of the two teams, especially within the context of the, the rest of the matchups here. But I think it is interesting. Like it, it is one of those games that I think is kind of fascinating just for uh, college baseball reasons, you know, from the, for those who are, are really paying attention to this kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, it's a matchup of two teams that I think are going to try to do a lot of the same things here. There are both teams that swing the bats really well. And of course, there's always the question of how well does that translate to TD Ameritrade Park? That's always kind of an open question about offensive teams. And of course, the nuanced version of that is that it depends on what do you mean by offensive, right? So we'll be interested to see how that goes. But also it's a couple of teams that it's pretty important for both to stay on schedule on the mound. You know, neither team has a particularly deep bullpen. Neither team really had to get out of their comfort zone in their super regional for different reasons. You know, one was for Stanford, it was that their starters were so good. They didn't really get pushed in that way. And for NC State, it was that the two relievers they really did rely on, um, you know, in, in Villaman and Justice were both good enough in those moments. They didn't really have to play a different card, you know, and, and in some ways losing that first game in such a blowout was a little bit of a blessing, I think, in some ways, because it, they didn't they probably didn't feel compelled to use some of the arms they would have used otherwise in that game or for as long. And so NC State maybe dodged a little bit of a bullet and that, that ends up being a little bit of a silver lining in the end. At the time, though, I'm sure it was not thought of that way. But so two teams that are kind of going to try to do a lot of um, similar things to try to win games here. So I think that makes it fascinating. I also think the element of what you talked about, that these are teams that, I mean, 2013 hasn't been that long ago, but NC State's one of those teams that is kind of always knocking on the door when one way or the other. I mean, they've hosted since then and, and weren't able to get through and they're always in the postseason, so it's one of those teams that, sure, it hasn't been that long ago, but also it feels like an eternity because they've had some close calls here and there. So they're eager to get to get back as well. And then, of course, Stanford having a, a longer break, one of the classic historic programs in college baseball history that just hasn't has had some really good years lately and hasn't broken through. But then before that, really kind of went through a little bit of a a valley in terms of, of production and, and getting to this stage. So there uh, it's kind of, it'll be nice to see the, that brand back in on the biggest stage in, in Omaha, because it's been a little while uh, for that group. So I, I'm excited for this one. Again, it's not going to have the, the matchup we'll talk about next is going to have a little bit more of the, the bold face names on, on the marquee, but this one I think is going to be really fun because I think it's two teams, not only that play similar styles, but also two teams that I think are going to be really, really eager to get this win because I think they feel like it's an opportunity uh, to, to get off to that kind of start and be able to compete a little bit further into the bracket. Yeah. I mean, both of these teams have to be happy with the way things break here. I mean, North Carolina state obviously already had to deal with the number one team in the country. And so that's why the bracket broke the, the way that it broke, but with them not here with Arkansas, not here, you know, and Arizona and Vanderbilt both here as 
the bracket, like, like as chalk indicates they should be, this is, you know, the, the two highest seeded teams on this half of the bracket are playing each other in the nightcap on Saturday. So this is an opportunity for Stanford and North Carolina state to get off to a one and O start. Somebody's got to, and therefore, you know, just need one win on, on Monday. And then, you know, you're playing on Friday with the chance to go to the finals. Like, like that's, that's what's at stake here is, is starting a, a, a pretty, I, you know, starting a really nice one and O and, and being able to, to set yourself up for a potentially pretty long stay in Omaha. So there's a lot on the line here and, you know, I'm sure they're both going to be happy not to be the ones facing Kamar Rocker. Uh, but at the same time, Brendan Beck is, uh, is really tricky for Stanford. NC state has played exceptionally well here and, you know, over the last six weeks plus, and, and you're looking at, uh, you know, some good pitchers for them as well. So, yeah, I think evenly matched in some respects. Uh, in other respects, they're going to do things a little bit differently, you know, uh, especially in this game with Brendan Beck on the mound for Stanford. They're they're really going to try and ride him as long as they can and, and see where it takes them. So I'm interested to see where this game takes them. And, and you know, it, it whoever wins this is uh, obviously going to be set up pretty well here, uh, starting one and oh, uh, and, and then looking at the winner of of, Stan- of uh, Arizona and, and Vanderbilt. So speaking of Arizona and Vanderbilt, that is the nightcap on Saturday. That is one of the marquee games of opening weekend. You got Kamar Rocker, ostensibly, I mean, it hasn't been announced yet, I don't think, going for Vanderbilt. I would be stunned if they went any other way. And then Arizona, uh, you know, coming in here with the nation's best offense. I feel pretty good about saying that these days. So you got the nation's best offense or one of the very best offenses against one of the very best starting pitchers in the country. I I don't know how much more you could ask for in in terms of a Saturday night game in the college world series. I mean, this has the makings of being, you know, just a really interesting game to have a play out. I, I don't know that it'll be an instant classic. I mean, it's possible that rocker overwhelms Arizona's bats or that, Arizona's offense knocks him out early and, and you get just a, a result that isn't necessarily an exceptionally close game, but in terms of ways that it could play out, just interest in it. Like, I, I think this is a, a really good matchup, you know, in terms of promotion, in terms of hype, in terms of, uh, you know, just setting, setting up what, what should be a, a, a fun night of baseball. Ooh, no kidding, man. This is, this is the kind of thing you are really looking forward to if, if Arizona all season long, you know, looking at this team and looking at what they could do offensively, just kind of like hoping that if they get to Omaha, they end up with a matchup like this because it's such a good test on both sides. And, you know, it's, it's just a heavy, a heavyweight matchup to use that, that overused kind of um, cliche in comparison there. So really looking forward to, to seeing how that ends up shaking out. And, you know, I talked about the question with offensive teams coming into Omaha every year is how does that play at TD Ameritrade? And I think we've, you know, go back to that 2012 Arizona national title winning team. That was a pretty offensive team, but it wasn't offensive in terms of we're going to swing from our heels and try to hit balls out of the yard. I think this team has a little bit more of that than that 2012 team did. However, this is still mostly an offense that's going to look to really 
drive the ball into the gaps as much as anything else, because sure, TD Ameritrade has a big outfield and it's not the easiest place to get a ball out of. Well, let me tell you about high Corbett field. You know, I mean, it's kind of a similar situation, like sure the air is thinner and in Tucson and all those kinds of things that make it, you know, a little more offensive in that regard. I get it, but these, the best Arizona offenses are the ones that can really drive the gaps, can really leg out doubles and triples. And this team can do that. Their doubles numbers are, you know, more impressive than their home run numbers, you know, just to put a, a finer point on it. So I think it's a team that actually is set up to, to be able to score runs in this environment because they, they aren't going to be disappointed because they hit a bunch of flyouts on the warning track that would have been out of their home ballpark. They have to kind of win the way they win offensively in Tucson is probably going to be similar to the way they'll be able to win offensively in Omaha. And I think that sets them up well. And then of course, you know, Kumar Rucker can put a, you know, uh, can, can mess up your plans uh, pretty quickly though, if he's on his game, because he's been, he's been really good. And it almost feels like he's for the extent that Kumar Rucker could ever go under the radar this year. Like, I think there's been a little bit of that because lighter was so good early and was kind of outshining him a little bit. Um, and then, so, from that point moving forward, they always get talked about together. And I think that really kind of maybe um, fails to, to really take notice of just how good Rocker has been again. And he's lived up to every and exceeded in many ways, every expectation we could have had for him uh, coming to campus. So it'll be cool just to kind of see this final run for him in college baseball and see what he's able to do on the big stage again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he seems to to really love pitching in the postseason. His postseason numbers are incredible. They were incredible in 2019 and, he has done nothing to tarnish them this year, only only bolster them further. So, you know, that, that that's a, a tough thing for Arizona to handle. I I think when, when I think of Arizona and their offense, um, what, what's been coming to mind for me lately is, you know, college football coaches love to talk about how multiple they are, like how multiple their offenses or how multiple their defenses. And when you remove the jargon from it. What they're saying is that they're, it's not just one guy that's going to be, you can't key on one aspect of their offense or their defense, whatever it is that they're talking about in, in that case that, you know, we have multiple ways that, that we're going to attack you and, and we feel good about, you know, beating you in that way. And like 95% of the time when college football coaches talk about it, they're, it, it's, it's nonsense. Like, maybe 95% is high, but like, I, I personally have heard it so many times, like it's just, it's a buzzword is all, but this Arizona offense really does have multiple ways to beat you. You mentioned Joe that in 16, they were a really good offensive team, but weren't necessarily the big masher types. And this year they do have more, more of that power. And you saw it last weekend against Ole Miss. They were, they were hitting some absolute tanks in that super regional. So they can do that. But they also, part of their offense being so good is, is that they drive the ball into gaps and that they can run. And, you know, Dante Williams gets on, on base and he's a threat. And, and they have a lot of guys that if you, if you put the ball in the gap, they'll run until you stop them. And, you know, they also are just a really disciplined group that can foul off and fight off a lot of pitches and, and make you work and get to your bullpen quicker. And then they'll do damage against the bullpen. So it, it's just a well-rounded group. And I think that all of that play will play in TD Ameritrade. Like I don't worry about them and their offense, not playing in a more spacious ballpark. They already play in high Corbett field, which is a big league ballpark effectively. Uh, it, it was a spring training ballpark for, for decades. So they're used to that. And that's why I think that they're not going to be bothered. doesn't matter what the wind's doing. 
maybe the wind will blow out this year and some of these home run teams will, will thrive, but Arizona is not going to need that to happen. They're, they're going to be able to, uh, to create offense no matter what, uh, except that maybe Kamal Rocker can, uh, can stop them. Um, you know, it hasn't happened often this year, but it has happened. And, you know, Rocker is perhaps the best pitcher in the, in the tournament. You know, if it's not him, it's, it's probably uh, either Landon Sims or, uh, or Jack Leiter. So uh, it, it, it's quite possibly Rocker and, and, you know, he'll get, he'll get the sternest test he can face uh, right off the bat here to, to lead things off on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, that's the, obviously we'll, we'll see, like we can adjust this if it turns out that way, but I, I would be to your point, if Arizona's offense gets slowed down, I mean, using the word shutdown just seems, that seems implausible, but if they get slowed down, it's just because the pitching is good. Like, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a situation where you, you look back and you go like, well, what they're trying to do is just not working. There have been teams like that in Omaha where they get eliminated pretty quickly. And you're like, boy, offensively, there just was not a lot going on here for a team that's been offensive all year. I have a hard time seeing that with Arizona unless the pitching is just that good, which is possible. I mean, you're going to face Kamar Rocker and then, you know, you're one game away from elimination at that point, you know, so um, it is, that is on the table, but I, I think it would come because the pitching would, would just be so overwhelming and not necessarily because like what they're trying to do is just not taking because of the, the ballpark factors or what have you. All right. So that's, that's bracket one. That That's what's happening Saturday. Joe, before we move on to, to bracket two, who, which of these teams do you think starts two and O and advances to, uh, to Friday? Boring answer, but, uh, you know, I, I said in the last podcast that I, I like Vanderbilt's chances here. I think when you're talking two games, because it, it gets sticky for Vanderbilt after that. And, of course, the, mil- the million caveats of, like, any, any, anybody can have a bad game, yada, yada, yada. We saw Rocker and Lighter be human at times this year. But when you're starting off with those two guys who are, you know, arguably the single two best pitchers in college baseball, like, it's just hard to hard to, get, to bet against that team going 2-0. and Now, if we want to talk about what Vanderbilt does after that point, um, that's maybe a little bit different discussion, but if you're talking who's going to be in the best position after two games, I think it's hard to go against anybody or hard to go with anybody, but Vanderbilt. I really, really want to find a way to go against you. I want to be like, well, like Stanford, you know, Brandon Beck and how good was, was Alex Williams against Texas tech last week. And like, why can't they do it? And I mean, they could do it or like Arizona's offense, like, why not? And, you know, they've got this really good bullpen too. Like they can do it. And, you know, I can make a case for NC state. Like they just knocked out Arkansas. They beat Arkansas back-to-back games that hadn't been done by any team all season long. Like Arkansas only lost back-to-back games once and it was two different teams. So like, why can't NC state come out and, and keep this hot streak up? And I think any of those teams can, I think this is pretty wide open. I think people are probably not going to refer to it as wide open because of rocker and lighter. And that's fine. Vanderbilt should be the favorites in these two games, but you know, I'm, I, I'm just saying like, I'm not going to be surprised by anything uh, in this bracket. I, I, I think that if, if we had Stanford playing on Friday, go, going to an O NC state going to an O Arizona to an O Vanderbilt to an O like, I'd be like, okay, I, I get how all of that happened. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, I guess if, if I'm going to force myself to make a pick, like, yeah, I, I guess we can't go against Vanderbilt with rocker and lighter, but I, I do think that there's a very reasonable case to be had for any of these four teams for, for starting two and zero in Omaha. 
For sure. Like, I, I think that's, that's well said because I think sometimes we, um, you know, it's, it's easy to um, kind of discount the chances that not only because these teams are so good, but just discount the crazy things that can happen. You know, uh, how many times have we seen, you know, a bad bounce here or there make a huge difference in games and, um, you know, some of these runs in Omaha that are a little bit surprising and just as, just as often teams that make relatively quick exits where you're like, Oh, I, I, you know, I did not expect to be waving goodbye to this team after 72 hours, you know? I mean, in 2016, Florida went 0 two as the number one overall seed. Like it happens. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the Arkansas teams recently, you know, I forget it was 0 two or one and two, but it was a team that, you know, uh, just I made it. That was 19. Had to have been 19 because 18, of course, they got, you know, one step shy of a title. And I think but... it was one and two because they were in the same bracket as Texas. And I think Texas went 0 and 2. That's right. Yeah. So, um... nope, I'm conflating that. Texas was there in 18. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Arkansas 0 and 2 in 19. I think that's right. But it's just, you know, the, the point being like this can happen to anyone, you know? Um, <laughs> so it's a good point to make because I think a lot of people are going to hear us talk about why Vanderbilt set up to do well and take that as us saying that no one can touch them. And I, that's, that's not what we're saying. I think you have to look at them as favorites, but, but anything can happen here for sure. Yeah. I would say that, you know, not only do they set up very well because they run out rocker and lighter, I, I would also say before moving on here is that the, the other thing is that you get a day off and that's really important for Vanderbilt with, uh, you know, being able to, to use their bullpen, their top two arms, the Eminem boys as they were getting called uh, recently. Um, Murphy and Maldonado, use them as aggressively as you want, because if you do go, it, you, you have in an ideal world, you're probably throwing rocker and lighter seven each, and then Murphy and Maldonado probably an inning each. And there's no reason why they like that. That's very attainable. But if, if something went off script, you can use Murphy or Maldonado as aggressively as you want on Saturday or on Monday, knowing that even if you lose, you have an off day. And especially on, on Monday, then if you win, you're off until Friday. So, I mean, I, I would be surprised really if we saw anyone else besides those four guys pitch for Vanderbilt in these, these first two games, something would have gone, I think, terribly wrong if, uh, if something else happens. Or maybe terribly right. You know, if like, perhaps, I mean, that's also true. If they they have a blowout going, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you, you do something else. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the bracket beginning on Sunday as I clean up. And yes, Arkansas was 0-2 in 2019. Um, So the bracket beginning Sunday, you've got Tennessee and Virginia at 2 o'clock. And then you have Texas and Mississippi State at 7 o'clock, both of those games on ESPN2. We will start with Tennessee and Virginia the Vols against the Hoos. Uh, this is an interesting one. You've got Tennessee, which has been so good all year long and sweeping through both the Knoxville Regional and Super Regional. Really, like, I don't want to say they weren't pushed because Wright State definitely pushed them two weeks ago uh, in that opening game of the Knoxville Regional. And it's not like LSU rolled over, but Tennessee hasn't played a tight, too many tight games in the tournament. Um, and then Virginia, which has been pushed every step of the way, they, they lost their opening game in the Columbia Regional and Super Regional, but come back to beat ODU in the Regional and then Dallas Baptist in the Super Regional. So, Joe, I, I guess the, the question here is, can Virginia get off to a better start? They'll run Andrew Abbott out there. He's an All-American. 
Tennessee will counter with Chad Dallas. I don't really understand why Virginia has struggled in opening games here uh, in, in the tournament, considering how good Abbott has been much of this season. Uh, but if if they're going to – I would not want to drop the opening game here and then try and make a run to the finals. I, I, I think you, they're really going to need to find a way to get off to a better start to the World Series than they have to regionals or super regionals. Yeah, I mean, that's really been the weird part about Virginia is they've been losing Andrew Abbott starts and have still been figuring it out. When, you know, coming into both this, the regional and the super regional, my th- thought process was kind of, well, they, they really need to win the Andrew Abbott starts because after that, like we've talked about how good their pitching is and how deep their pitching is, but they don't they don't really have anybody else who does what Andrew Abbott has done for them this year. You know, now they've had guys step up. Griff McGarry was awesome last weekend in the super regional. Um, would you bet on that again? Like, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, Mike Vassell has been pretty, pretty good, but he's not been what Andrew Rabbit has been. So long story short, it's just, you know, they, they're really kind of making on him being good on the front end. And it should be said that he, he has been pretty good in the, in the postseason. It's not like he's had bad starts. They've just been losing, losing those games. But so that, that is a little bit strange there on the front end. And it's, um, I'm with you that I don't, because of, they're a little bit more unsure what comes after that, whether it's they, 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 you know, put Griff McGarry back out there in game two, you know, knowing well, that. So the reason why McGarry started game two of the Super is because Mike Vassell threw like, they, they just piggybacked Vassell and, and Abbott in game one. So I, I don't know if that, if they want that to be the case, like I, they can do so many different things with their, their rotation. Yeah, they really are. They do, they do feel like a team. That's a good point. Cause it, they, they do feel like a team right now that they've got so many good arms out there. It feels like they've been hiding them, you know, all season. And it, it really is just that they're all pitching better now in, in many cases than they have all season long. So it feels like they've really kind of hit a peak here. So it, it, they are in an enviable position where they don't have to do anything. So, so many of these teams have to do something, right? So it's like, you know, with Stanford, for example, it's like Beck, Alex Williams, then we'll figure it out. And NC State, it's like, you know, we have our three starters and we have our two bullpen guys and we have to do this. In Vanderbilt, it's rocker, lighter, and then we figure it out. Like so many of these teams are so locked in to what they need to do from a pitching standpoint. Virginia doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like they can do any number of things. I mean, they got through a Super Regional without using Steven Shock, you know. Um, that gives you an exi- – and a three-game Super Regional, by the way. And they were able to pull that off somehow. And so – I mean, they used one reliever. Like, I know that two guys had relief appearances, but effectively they used one reliever. Right. And boy, was was Matt Wyatt good. Um, and, like, <laughs> but, Matt Wyatt is, like – he has, like, something like eight starts this year too. Like they basically didn't use their bullpen. I mean, they could, yeah. They, so they can do any number of things. Like they, they can really play this any way they want, which is a, which is a, a obviously a big advantage. And, and truthfully, like Tennessee has settled into something of a little bit of a, a feel for what they want to do on the mound, but they're kind of similar, right? I mean, when you talk about, okay, you know, they're probably going to start Dallas and, and Tidwell um, one and two, and you kind of know that's coming, but in terms of the way they handle their bullpen, like they've got guys we talked except, about this before. except that I know that Sean Hundley is going to pitch the final two innings or three innings. Like, yeah, they, they can, they mix and match a lot. Yeah. It, so it seems like two teams that from a mound standpoint, like we, the, the teams we talked about to this point feel somewhat locked into kind of what they want to do for the most part, these two teams though, we could see basically anything from a pitching standpoint. And so I think that makes that this kind of exciting because the, I think it will feel a little bit kind of like a chess match and two teams that are going to react to what happens early on in the game to decide they 
how they want to use their pitching. Whereas with some of these other teams we talked about, it's like, well, we know who's coming out of the bullpen first and we just don't know if it's going to be in the fourth inning or the seventh inning. And so um, that's kind of an interesting little subplot here. You know, if it, if it, if it becomes an offensive game, I think Tennessee's in a good spot. I think they're one of the more, you know, you talk. So I was, I was about to ask that. Yeah. So these are, these are two teams that have been pretty home run reliant in the postseason. Some of that is the ballparks that they were playing at in Knoxville and and, uh, Columbia are, Offensive environments. Tennessee's hit a ton of home runs all season long. Virginia probably has been less reliant on the home run, but also, again, ballpark, they play in a less home run happy ballpark. What if the wind's blowing in? Like, what, how, how are these teams scoring runs if you take the home run away from them? And if you don't, I mean, like, it, does Tennessee just have a, a clear advantage or, or could Virginia keep up if, if the ball does happen to be flying? I mean, I think if the ball happens to be flying, like I think kind of all bets are off because I think you just never know who's going to run into one. And I think Virginia showed that they could win some some games that way. I'd still probably go advantage Tennessee. If the wind's blowing in, I actually kind of like maybe like Tennessee, if both teams are kind of hamstrung in that way, I think Tennessee is kind of one of those offenses that to use, to use your your football cliche term is is multiple. I mean, they are a team that they do like to run a decent amount. They've got seven, 72 stolen bases. It's an athletic offense. Like it's one through, I won't say one through nine, because they do have a couple of guys that'll clog the bases a little bit, but you know, it's, they've got seven guys in the lineup who can steal bases, can take extra bases, can grind things out. And it's, it's worth saying like lately they've been winning games with power and that's kind of how they've gotten it done. And they have a lot of, um, memorable home runs i'll put it that way so i think sometimes maybe it's easy to think that they've actually been a little more powerful than they have been and they have been powerful but they've also just I mean, got a lot of memorable to the country home for runs. sure for sure but they have a lot of memorable home runs is is definitely part of that but there were times earlier this year where you know you and i had conversations about and the tennessee offense just kind of seems kind of just okay right now it doesn't really seem like it's clicking on all cylinders and but they for the most part kept winning games and so that's something that the team you know from Tony Vitello to all the way down to the players talked about a lot in media and the super regional was that, you know, we had a lot of times this year where the home run ball just wasn't coming and we were having to try to figure out how to win games ugly and win games different ways. And so they do have that experience. Now I'm a little bit dubious of, um, you know, how, how that sometimes we can look at that as a skill, like having to win games ugly like that. And maybe there is something to that, but I also just think you're allowing luck into the equation if you're trying to win games that way. Um, so I don't think they'd want to do that, but I think it's a team that, that at least thinks they can win that way. Um, but because I think their offense is just, I think of it as appreciably better than, than what Virginia has, has put forth this year. So I give the advantage to Tennessee if it becomes an offensive game. Um, but uh, it's just so hard to gauge what Virginia is right now, because what we're seeing right now is just so, so much of a better version of that team than what we saw for the first, I don't know, eight, 10 weeks of the season. So it's, it's hard for my brain to even be able to accurately judge what we're looking at with Virginia. Cause it's just so different. I mean, my guess is that this is not going to turn into an offensive game. I mean, you've got Chad Dallas and Andrew Abbott on the mound. Like you're probably going to have to win this game tight and it might just be determined by one swing of the bat, regardless of like, whether the wind's blowing in or out, it, it, it does feel like this is probably going to be uh, a pitching-oriented game, not like the uh, some of those games in Knoxville that, that we saw, but maybe a little bit more like what they played in the in the SEC tournament. There were, I mean, 
there were some times that they had blowouts in, in Hoover as well. Uh, but I, they, they played a couple of really like that first game against Alabama, those three to two, like I, I could see a game like that here. Um, and yeah, I probably advantage Tennessee offensively, no matter what, but it's going to be, I, I think this is going to be a little more down to, uh, to the pitching staffs. The nightcap then sees Texas, the number two seed and the highest seeded team remaining in the tournament. They take on Mississippi State, the number seven seed. Uh, this is, I mean, everything that I said about Vanderbilt and Arizona and how much hype you could build around that, all of that is true here. Maybe a little less true. Like, I mean, Ty Madden is a really big deal, both as a, as a college pitcher, he's an All-American, and as a draft prospect, he's a probable top 10 pick. But, I mean, he's also not Kamal Rocker, at least top 15 pick. I don't Top 10, we'll see. Um Mississippi State has Tanner Allen, who's the SEC Player of the Year, a, a incredible four-year career for the Bulldogs. I don't know how much hype you can build if you're ESPN surrounding Landon Sims just because he's a closer. Uh, but you've got that guy as well, who's who's pretty darn good. Uh, it, so you've got some individual stuff, but this is also just two big-time brands when we're talking about college baseball. I mean, I don't need to explain what Texas is and certainly what Mississippi State has been. So I, th- this this is going to be a really fun one as well. Uh, and on the mound, you, you've got Ty Madden and Christian McLeod in all likelihood. Uh, two pretty good good pitchers going at it. Definitely advantage Texas on that, though. It's not like McLeod's been bad or anything. He just isn't All-American good. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, – it's a pretty pretty strong Mississippi State team. You saw what they did sweeping through the Starkville Regional and then beating Notre Dame in the Starkville Super Regional. Texas has not been tested. I, I think that's fair to say. They just haven't been tested in the NCAA tournament very much at all. Uh, South Florida, they beat them in the Supers, and South Florida got the game tied in the ninth inning. But South Florida, pretty sure, did not lead at all in the Super Regional. If they did, it was very briefly in Game 2, and I don't think they led at all. Uh, and then in the, the Austin Regional, Texas swept through that um, with relative ease, I think. Um, I think that's fair to say. So interesting to see what, what it'll be like. It's, it's just been a while since Texas has really, really faced anything like what Mississippi State can, can run at them. Yeah, no, that's a really good point about Texas because I, I hadn't really thought about that in a while. That the idea that you know it had a, a fairly cushy regional. No disrespect to uh, podcast darling Fairfield, but you know you end up in a regional final with Fairfield. The other teams in your regional were Southern and an Arizona State team that was just 